What's up, Musical Minds? Please enjoy a little preview from this interview with Chris Langton. Just knowing all the details, knowing the the notes and rhythms is not even, that's step zero. You have to know the phrasing, the direction, the intention, the meaning, exactly what you're trying to communicate in the moment. And if you haven't spent a lot of time preparing that stuff into the music from step one, from the get-go, it is going to show up in your performance that you don't really know what you're doing. Like I've heard before, you're, you might as well be just singing a spaghetti commercial. Hello, and welcome to the Musical Minds Podcast, where it is our job to flesh out the mindset and ways to cope with the struggles that ensue in becoming a high-performing musician. Hosted by Eric Reinhardt and Jake Pietroniero. Now let's get on to the show. Hey, Musical Minds. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys are excited to hear the interview that I had with Chris Langton here in a few minutes where we talk about performance and the role that a teacher should play and how they should know their students and on tips on being a professional musician and auditions. And, and so if you guys are new to the show, uh, my name is Eric, the host of the show. I'm a pianist in the Bay Area and I predominantly focus on classical music with a little bit of modern and jazz in there. And if you enjoy this show, if you wouldn't mind uh, subscribing to the podcast, in the show notes, I'll have links to my mailing list, websites, and all. And if you're interested, you can reach out for a free Skype piano lesson. I set aside time each week for free Skype piano lessons and consultations where we can figure out what it is that your goals are. So if you're interested in that, you can email me directly at musicalmindspodcast at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy this episode. Chris is a longtime friend, and I hope that you can sense the joy and the fun that came out of this interview. So let's get into the show. Okay, Musical Minds, we are live with Chris Langton, and um, I have fond memories with Chris as we marched the Sacramento Mandarins together in 2010, and so we're going to get to figure out, or we're going to get to hear about um, your your previous story and uh, what you're up to now. So would you mind just giving a musical background um, for yourself, or give your musical background? Yeah, absolutely. Good to be here, Eric. Um, so we met in 2010 performing in Sacramento Mandarin's Roman Bugle Corps, pretty much a professional marching band as I describe it nowadays. And music has always been a very important part of my life. Um, I remember when I first moved down to the United States, I was 10 years old, um, moved down from Vancouver, British Columbia, and was asked this question, do you want to sign up for music classes? And that was a strange question to me because up until that point, music wasn't even an option. It was always something that I did. It was always a very foundational part of my life. So the answer was yes, I did sign up for music classes. I got extremely involved in band and marching band through high school and middle school. And then when I got to college, I studied euphonium and music education for three years 
after three years of that, I decided, you know what? I don't really like playing Euphonium anymore. <laughs> I'm going to do something different. And I completely switched my focus over to classical voice. Got my master's in vocal performance from the University of Nevada in Reno. And have been starting to develop my career as a young professional opera singer in recent years. That is so interesting. Um, Was there some sort of like uh, niche that had a void in in voice or what was the necessary, necessarily the attraction towards pivoting to another instrument? Singing was always something, when I said that I was always doing music growing up, it was always singing up until I decided to sign up for band on a whim. So at my very roots, I was always a singer, even though I kind of forgot that fact for a few years. I didn't do choir in high school. I actually, somebody convinced me to audition for show choir my senior year of high school, doing Broadway medleys, singing and dancing. But Aside from that, I was never a singer. And then somebody one day, one of my friends says, hey, we need guys for opera. Come do opera. This was while I was studying euphonium. And so I just went, sang in the opera chorus. In just a few short years, I made a lot of progress there. And while I started to feel this progress singing, I also felt my interest in brass and band music wane a little bit it got to this point where every time i had to practice i was dreading it i never wanted to pick up my instrument i never wanted to do music and when i hit that point i decided i needed to make a change and i started singing and i've been extremely happy with that decision ever since then Mm. that's that's so nice to hear um it Makes me wonder, like, because I I had thoughts of like when when you're solely focused on a single instrument, uh, and you really feel like you need to make a change, um, was it was it nerve wracking, just like giving up all your euphonium skills, or because you had your background, it wasn't your background in voice and and singing in choir, it wasn't that big of a pivot. Um, it was a little bit nerve wracking, but at the same time, I. I knew I had a voice. I just had never really seriously explored that. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting having to learn as a fourth year music student in college from square one, how to use my voice. I actually had a fantastic teacher, Dr. Albert Lee at UNR, University of Nevada, Reno, come in when I was about to graduate he listened to me and he said, man, you really have a you have a voice going on there. You have no idea what you're doing. You don't know how to use it, uh, but there's definitely a voice there. You should study with me for a couple more years before going off into the world of education or whatever. And it was only through several years of really, really intensive study, very harsh critiques, but really hard work and good learning that I was able to kind of make up for lost time on some level or another. Mm -hmm. Um, So you were talking about being harshly critiqued for, this was with Albert, is that right? 
Yeah, this was with Albert, but actually my euphonium teacher, my private teacher when I was studying instrumental was renowned for being really harsh as well. Um, I've had pretty brutal and honest teachers over the course of my learning so far, at least. <laughs> I I recently actually had a interaction with the teacher that was just <laughs> was in that sense very harsh um but um and this is my opinion as i've kind of studied with more teachers is like you really have to balance out the the negative and positivity because you're you're just incredibly negative negatively biased um mm -hmm. have have you uh, where where do you decide? Because you're an educator as well, right? Yes, I am. Um, so how do you make that decision of I need to be like the tough love person versus the um, like it's not granted it's not perfect, but um, there are some things that you're doing right and you want that person to know what they're doing right to reinforce those things. For me, it's... All... I tend to err more on the side of encouraging and building people up rather than that really harsh, tough love. That being said, you always have to consider what your students' goals are, I find, because most of my students are not music majors. They're not trying to be professional musicians. They're doing music because they enjoy it. They're doing music casually, not to pay the bills, but to have a good time and entertain themselves in some degree or feel fulfilled because it's part of their life. Um, and with those sort of students, I think that you have to focus on the good and the improvement. They're not making a career out of this every single time, even if they're doing it regularly. That hmm. being said, with my more serious students, um, for instance, when I was a professor at the University of Nevada for the last few years, I was teaching ear training, sight singing courses. And I would always emphasize to these students, these skills are vital. I am gonna focus on what you're doing well. I'm gonna focus on building you up. But at the end of the day, if you don't learn these skills, you're not just gonna fail my class. You will never get hired. Hmm. It's not, you might get a B, you might get a C, you might eat by, but if you cannot be a skilled musician, you will never have a job. Hmm, that is the the cold hard truth but it's not that you were trying to be like really jab into them <laughs> but like no, that, that's just the objective like truth that you see and you wanted to make them understand that yes it's like i would love you to have a good time and learn and get better and have an easy happy time doing that the entire time and some people can but if you can't you have to work a little bit harder otherwise your career is not going to be very long there are skills that you have to get down no matter which way you do it hmm. so um how is it that you handle like uh how do you handle when you see just some kid who's really trying very hard um but it's just not not improving like how do you broach that situation with patients or or whatever for me 
it always goes to having a simple conversation. As an educator, if especially this happens in a class setting, if I have like one student who's lagging behind the class or not making progress, I'll just want to meet with them. There was a student who I had, um, she was a single mom working to be a music teacher and she had never gotten any sort of formal training. And as her sight singing teacher, I had to tell her, hey, listen, you're not where we need you to be yet. How can we get you there? We we wound up working for 45 minutes once a week, just one-on-one. And by the end of the semester, she'd made incredible progress. Hmm. In a one-on-one situation, though, if a student is not improving, I always reflect on myself. To me, the failures of a student are always related to the failures of the teacher on some degree. Maybe I haven't motivated them the right way. Maybe I'm not communicating in the language that they like to be communicated within. Um, I always reflect on what I'm doing if my students are spinning their wheels and failing. Mm, I love that from both the being the student and the teacher angle. Yeah. Uh, um, and then, so could you now go into what you're up to right now uh, in your career and like what's exciting in your career? Yeah, um, I'm at a very interesting point in my career right now. I recently started getting small professional gigs and performing as an operatic baritone in different small regional companies, taking auditions. I have started going to competitions because I'm ready to go out into the world and do things. But at the same time, I'm still young and inexperienced and learning my technique and voice in many ways. Mm-hmm. So just my last gig that I had, and it was sort of my last thing for foreseeable future was in February. I performed with a small regional company, Vocalis International Repertory Singing Company, or something like that. It was a very long title. Vocalis International is how I refer to it, but we did Pagliacci by Leon Cavallo. And I was singing one of the lead roles, Silvio, who it was it was one of the most fun roles I've ever gotten to do because the way I describe it is I show up on stage, I steal the tenor's girl, we <laughs> kiss and sing some of the most beautiful music in the entire show, then I leave for 20 minutes, come back on stage and get stabbed. The end. <laughs> oh, man, that sounds really... That, that sounds quite the role. Yeah, it's it's a fun one. Um, and looking forward into the future, what I'm doing right now is I'm getting my audition repertoire down. I'm, oh, sorry, there's a fire engine going by right outside. I'm preparing arias, getting audition ready. I'm taking some time to just make some money because going out and auditioning is very expensive. And that was one thing that I didn't even... I maybe didn't consider as much as I needed to how much it really takes to finance a budding music career. Mm. Cause 
when you want to audition somewhere, you have to fly there. You have to take time off work. So not only are you paying to attend an audition, um, you have the audition fees, you have the flight to get there, but you're also losing that time that you could be spent making money as well. So auditioning places is expensive. Mm. You need to find something with flexibility to finance your career because music, even though I've started getting paid, it's not paying my bills yet. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, have you been referred to all of these these auditions and these potential gigs through like connections from attending university? Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. The Pagliacci that I just did that we were just speaking about, I actually got that recommendation from my voice teacher, Albert, Albert Lee. Um, One of his close friends was the person running the company. They needed a baritone and it was Albert's recommendation that got me that performance opportunity. Mm. Some other opportunities um, that have come up I've had to audition for. Last summer, I went to Chicago to compete in the finals for the Nats competition, um, the National Association for Teachers of Singing student competition. And I made it pretty far into that competition. That was just a series of auditions. I think to get to the final round or the semifinals, which is where I made it, I had to pass three previous audition rounds to get there. Um, why don't we delve down the rabbit hole of what you've been going through your successes and auditions and um, what you've kind of had to learn along the way, what things have worked as far as a mental framing uh, and even preparation can be included in that. Um, is that, is that question clear? Yeah, you want to know a little bit about how I prepare and what it looks like mentally going through that whole process. Yeah. So one of the things I mentioned earlier that my teacher, Dr. Lee at UNR, is really a hard ass. He's pretty hardcore in some ways. But at the same time, his his method of being hardcore was not just to beat you down. It was to teach you skills and build the road for you, but to be absolutely unyielding in teaching you the <laughs> process. When when he detects that you haven't done the process properly, he would jump on you like you're a wounded gazelle on the Serengeti. <laughs> uh, I There were times where I would show up to rehearsal and I hadn't prepared right, and he would know it immediately. And we, uh, there were a couple near fights that him and I, not like fist fights, but definitely inner shouting matches that we got into. But when, when we started working, I just did not understand the level of detail that needs to go into the preparation moment. And in my mind, the performance now, how I approach it, is the result of how you've prepared. Hmm. Just knowing all the details, knowing the the notes and rhythms is not even, that's step zero. Hmm. You have to know the phrasing, the direction, the intention, the meaning, exactly what you're trying to communicate in the moment. And if you haven't spent a lot of time preparing that stuff into the music from step one, from the get-go, it is going to show up in your performance that you don't really know what you're doing. Like I've heard before, you're, you might as well be just singing a spaghetti commercial for <laughs> opera in, instead of actual art. 
Yeah, that that reminds me of just like knowing knowing the high point of the song or uh, the direction that you want to go with the song and its form and everything. Um, uh, that's what comes to mind when you talk about that is like really knowing this, knowing your repertoire inside and out and making very minute details like a part of your like creative choice and what brings your individual type of style to that. Yeah, absolutely. And more recently, even at the more micro level than the whole shape, the high points and low points of pieces of music, I focus a lot. I find myself focusing a lot on the, the in-between notes, how one note into the next note into the next note actually flow into one another because every single phrase has a high point and a low point. Every single note in some ways can have a high point, low point. If you're thinking about it. And as a singer, we have that option to like, play so much within the individual notes and stuff um i don't even think a lot of the time about where the climax of an aria or piece really is because that's written into the music the music is what makes it climactic itself i just have to focus on the nuance of how we get there in the in-between okay love it (laughs) so it sounds like um, from your from what you're describing is that you there's some level of like acting a part of your job as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that brings me back to our uh, our Star Wars even- evenings on the bus. Our, our Star Wars bus plays. I guess I'll explain what this is for the listeners because they have no idea. Um, when we were performing, we were touring the country and sometimes taking bus rides as long as 10 hours between places. And we would get so bored on these bus rides. You can only stare at your phone for so long on a bus before you get bored. And so we decided to put together these bus plays. We would take a script to actual Hollywood movies adjust them a little bit so that they could be performed live and in a hilarious way on the bus <laughs> and just perform them for all the other students and performers on the tour buses that we were on. And uh, Eric was Luke Skywalker in our bus play production of Star Wars. Mm. Um, yeah, that was that was something else. That was fun. Music people are such fun cool people they're always willing to do something ridiculous and go on some sort of adventure like that yeah definitely that that was definitely a highlight of of mandarins did you so did you have to pick up your acting skills like when you took when you took up voice yes absolutely i started taking acting classes um studying a little bit more of the expressive method behind acting and stuff but because i never had a complete formal acting uh, or a formal battery of acting classes and training, I always feel a little weird about acting on stage. I have gotten to the point now where I get complimented. I, in our Pagliacci performance, I got through with my first run of the scene in our rehearsals and they're like, yep, that's great. I, I like the choices you're making, change this one thing, change this other small thing, and that'll be good. And I'm sitting here hardly believing what I'm being told because I'm like, uh, I 
I did it. That was that was fine. You mean <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with what I did. I can't improve. It's weird when you go through this process of being kind of broken down and corrected in your studies that when you start to develop and bud as a performer and people don't have any major critiques at what you're doing anymore, like what do you do from there? It's this kind of strange question I've been facing recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to see if you can come up with this at the top of your head. So um, for me, being an instrumentalist, uh, is there any advice that you would give to other instrumentalists who aren't don't have that acting component or uh, or singers either? Um, that they could apply into their music that would, I guess, make it feel more genuine or embodied. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, on some level, part of expression and acting is all about portraying a character. Mm. And so by getting more in touch with the character, we're going to be able to get more in touch with what we're trying to express and also how we are going to express that. So if you're playing a piece, if you're singing a piece, whatever, singers have the option and the benefit of words. Words tell you the meaning. And then you're not so much making stuff up as you are just reading and interpreting that. Mm -hmm. However, as an instrumentalist, I remember when I was really seriously studying brass, you'd have to go really in depth with what is trying to be expressed because sometimes it's just a piece it's clair de lune and you're like how do okay what what is okay first off what was debussy talking about when he wrote clair de lune okay that that kind of means moonlight okay how, how is this piece moonlight why why is the moonlight moving in this way what might be happening in the piece because as a singer whenever something happens musically you have to create a dramatic reasoning behind that. If I'm singing uh, Mozart, the Count has this opera or operatic aria called I Giovinta la Causa, where the piano is like, da -dum, I Giovinta la Causa, cosa sento, da -dum, da -dum, in qualato cadea. And I'm not like really fully singing because it'll make my mic go crazy, but. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> All the little moments where the instruments respond and interplay with what I'm saying, in my mind, represent the thoughts as they're rolling through this character's brain. So if I say, I Jovinta la causa, which kind of roughly translates to, uh, you've won the case, um, then... I'm talking to myself, then these da dun da da thoughts come and I have to react to those thoughts to motivate what I'm saying next. The more everything that happens in the music has to have a reason behind it. Otherwise, like I said, it's just kind of it's just tones. It's a spaghetti commercial. It's just noises instead of intention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one one thing that uh the box scholar talked about is like you should have a reason, even if it's just that you like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it yeah, that way. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's like for for a piece that 
once it starts building and getting faster, more dramatic, more climactic, what is the underlying cause to that is how I'd start thinking about that. If I was struggling with interpretation and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I stole this question from just various podcasts and framed it into music. Um, is there anything that you've changed your mind about the way music should be uh, recently, maybe past six months? Huh, that's that's an interesting question. I I can give you an example if you'd like. Okay, yes, please. Um, so in the past six months, I so previously I would use excessive rubato and almost have no time to my music. Um, a lot of times just being a pianist, like you can just kind of have this endless rubato and and so but I've kind of realized the value of like having rhythm because rhythm is such a in integral part of music and also just like movement and dance, which is what like sets the stage for music to be there is is dance uh, in terms of like folk dances, especially in like Western Western music or whatever. So for me, that has changed um, that I should. I should probably pay attention more to like a more consistent time, though I can still allow like ebb and flow of tempo. Yeah, I think that that's something that pretty recently I've had to come to terms with as well. Um, singers are notoriously bad at rhythm. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I'm going to get you hate mail or something by saying this, but when I switched from being an instrumentalist to a singer within my first semester, my rhythm skills had actually dipped pretty significantly <laughs> um, because complex 16th note patterns and stuff that I might have read on brass just aren't usually done as often as a singer. Obviously I still had the skills to read music and figure it out, but just the pure sight reading of rhythms and stuff had dipped. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that singers deal with very singable melodies, very um, sometimes even even the ones that are technically complex aren't necessarily going to be extremely rhythmically complex. And so singers have this awful stereotype of letting rhythm fall by the wayside and fall to the sidelines. I definitely fell prey to that too. And it takes a really good coach and some really good sessions with other people to before you realize, oh, wow, the the rhythm's gone out the window. I need to really pay attention to the integrity because even when I stretch, push, and pull, it has to happen within context of one sort or another, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that was a big realization pretty recently for me as well. It's interesting to hearing you say the same thing. Uh, you said that. And I was like, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, as, especially since I've yeah. been playing for like – uh, I've been busking a little bit more and like um, playing like little cocktail parties. And so like creating this movement and, and like that's the whole basis of like counterpoint or uh, I've been trying to use counterpoint principles when I play like lead sheets in, in public uh, rather than just like having a stagnant whole note um, to keep the beat moving. But yeah. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just thought of another thing that I realized about my recent months in music mm -hmm. um, that I'd like to touch on is that I had this idea that you went through your schooling as like your college years studying music and then you got your degree and then you got a job and were employed and that was how it went. And recently I've just, it's hit me pretty hard and it's been a pretty real big realization that, Oh, okay. All that time in school was not, really becoming a musician that wasn't being a musician and that was being like a student that was basic learning stuff and now that i've graduated and i have to book auditions on my own schedule coaches on my own take lessons when i can also make money to afford all this sort of stuff however i am able to this is where being a musician actually starts being able to sing or make music was not what my training was for. My training was so that I had, I was already able to make music and I was, had a better set of tools by which I could start my career as a musician, even though I've been singing somewhat professionally, uh, semi-professionally for the last three, four years, I consider it like now that I've completely left academic institutions and I'm working on my own, that my career is actually done. Mm. Uh, that's, that's really interesting to hear. I don't know. So I don't know if you know this. So I, I actually got my biochemistry degree in 2015. And so I haven't been studying in a formal academic institution. I've just been studying privately with, uh, some teachers and then studying, uh, on my own was the was the social aspect of school a big highlight for you it absolutely was i'm a very social person i consider myself to be like a complete extrovert people person so much so like there have been times where i'm about to fall asleep and then i'll get a text from a friend being like hey come out uh -huh. and i'm like oh okay and then i'll go out and just by being out and around people i get this whole second wind of energy and stuff so the social aspect of music was always a very attractive bonus to being a musician for me mm, yeah just because i um that's interesting that you say that and i could imagine that when you were feeling those low troughs of motivation maybe your professor just like uh cussed you out <laughs> or called you out for your on your stuff um that you um you were able to get inspired inspired again through seeing other people around you uh maybe comparing yourself to them or just having their social support oh yeah that, that external motivation is a huge part of what makes being a musician in an institution like that an academic institution like that easier than being a musician on your own out in the world um for instance nowadays if i have an aria to learn nobody's gonna yell at me if i didn't learn it but what i've started to realize is that the alternative is way worse it's not that i get yelled at now it's that i just never develop as an artist mm -hmm. what, and can you just say what an aria is i I'm oh, okay, sorry. Uh, an aria in an opera is essentially a song, like okay. a, like a 
a piece of music that the solo musician most of the time will sing. Um, they're pretty much the solos of opera. Oh, okay. And when you are preparing for auditions and stuff, a lot of the time you have your five arias that you deal with. Um, one in English, German, French, and Italian, and then sort of another one that highlights good characteristics of your voice. Are you, so did you have to study these other languages or are you just learning the words as you go? A little bit of both. So I'm, I'm Canadian. I grew up speaking French, Yeah. but in the years since I moved down to Canada and stopped studying and speaking French, I've completely forgotten the language. So I will recognize a lot of the words. I will half speak it, but part of the learning process is going through making sure you know the translation word by word, not just generally phrase by phrase, sentence by sentence, word by word, what exactly you're saying. Hmm. Fantastic. Um, is there any common error that you see uh, musicians making consistently, especially like younger musicians who might be on the, the beginning of their amateur slash pro career? Yeah. When you say young musicians, I'm thinking like elementary schoolers, but if, but even somebody beginning their pro career um, is a young musician, you're absolutely right. I really often find young musicians and when I'm teaching late high school, early college age musicians, people who just make music thoughtlessly, they think of music as something that happens to them rather than something that they're generating. Mm. Um, especially like when I'm working with a large ensemble, I'll be like conducting the ensemble and they'll be just sort of, they'll play the notes, they'll play the rhythms, they'll be okay, but it will just be such a, flat performance mm -hmm. and that's to me is a good sign that they're thinking about the piece of music that we're playing as though it's happening to them it's like okay this piece is happening and when it's my turn i'm going to play here and it's going to sound like this the end and instead i always like to think about music being the thing you create the music does not exist without the musician it's just ink otherwise and really keying in to the fact that you are creating the music is why I try and encourage my young students to focus on all the time. Mm. That it seems like it would be really tough to uh, communicate that to like a large ensemble all at the same time rather than like one-on-one -on -one with a student. It is on some level, but you know, it sounds like a lot of stuff to say and a lot of stuff to focus on more than anything to me. It's just being really, really energetic and in the moment thinking mm -hmm. about what you're doing in that moment, what comes next in that moment, where you started, where you're ending and what role you're playing in the ensemble there. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, so you maintained your, um, like sort of group group efforts or do you have like a solo repertoire as well um 
most of what I do nowadays is solo work. Oh, okay. Uh, whenever I'm talking about like auditioning, performing arias and stuff, it's as a soloist. Mm. Arias are always like vocal solos for the most part, and um, so my main focus for these last few years has been solo performance. I've sung in a choir a couple times, like maybe five times in the last year. Mm-hmm. I've played in a euphonium or played euphonium in an ensemble. I, again, like 15, 20 times in the last year. Most of my focus now is solo work. Okay. Um, so maybe this will be the last question and then we can, uh, then we can say goodbye. Maybe you have some recordings online uh, somewhere that you could talk about. But so this last piece of uh, advice goes to the listeners who might be struggling in their er- early years of musical development. Um, is there any parting piece of wisdom? Maybe they're, they're, there's so much repertoire out there and they, they feel like it's a little, there's so much work to be done. A couple of years ago, I was working as a stagehand, helping with touring groups and bands and stuff like that. And I guess the piece of wisdom that I'm going to share now is something that I got from one of these traveling professional musicians back then. And they said to me that the most valuable thing a musician can ever have is grit. The willingness to go for it and go for it and not give up and keep trying because what I was realizing is this place where I'm at right now, where I've left academia and I'm just working on my own. This is the place where people give up. Mm-hmm. This is where when your feet are to the fire and you have to afford to live, but also you need to make music. Most of the time people get a job and barely pursue their career after that point. And that grit really comes into play here because you can be like a casual musician for your life and that's okay. Many people do that. There's nothing wrong with making music on that level, even if you're good. But the people who really have careers and flourish to me that I've seen now are the ones who are nonstop. They keep going, they keep focusing, they keep digging deep, even if they've done. 10 auditions in a row and all of them have been less than fruitful. Mm. Have you heard the quote, um, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Uh, have you heard that one? I have heard that one. It's, it's really common, but it's not until you really get there that you realize how true it is. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I, um, I have that on like a, about the size of a business card and, or ID card. And it's in it's in the face of my wallet that I see like every day. <laughs> um, I look. At, I love that. Yeah, I look at that on a regular basis. Um, so excellent. So yeah, thank you for just uh, going into. You got to work hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that's what it comes down to, really. Yeah, the book the book outliers actually they they interview or they study these like world-class violinists and like no single musician has or no single violinist who's like world-class got there just from like inborn talent. 
is, mm-hmm. absolutely is, is essentially the main takeaway so uh yeah thank you chris for sharing your your stories and your wisdom um do you have a youtube <laughs> or anything that you wanted to share or no I don't now. I'm still working on um, making the content to start a really strong online presence, but that should be coming up in the the next year or so that I feel like I have enough stuff to really put forward. So not currently as strong online as I'd like to be, but that's the next step is uh, the marketing myself in that way. Mm -hmm. Every every musician needs some marketing (laughs) to get found in this this bloodbath, this red ocean. Uh, anyway anyway, thank you Chris okay thank you hello there it's Eric here I just wanted to thank you for listening in to the Musical Minds podcast if you enjoyed this free podcast would you do me a huge favor and leave an honest review and subscribe to the podcast it really makes a difference in getting our message visible to musicians in need remember There are so many musicians out there in the world struggling. Always remember, you are not alone. If you're inspired by this podcast and you'd like a free 30-minute intro Skype piano lesson, please contact me directly at musicalmindspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, continue feeding the fire of your musical passions and developing your musical mind. Take care.